0: up everybody welcome to draft Chaff. this is episode number 131 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and joining me as per usual ben fisher what's up dude
1: not too much it's the holiday season we've both got Well, some form of uh, whiskey drink. Uh, And I I think we're ready for a fun episode. This better be a fun one. If it's not, I'm going to be really disappointed and it's all your fault. Uh, No, blame blame the listeners. They're the ones that gave us the questions. They're the ones generating this content.
0: Yeah, but the listener is just amazing and you're you.
1: Okay, okay, (laughs) okay. I'm out of (laughs) here. Zach is cut off.
0: (laughs) All right, all right. In, in all seriousness, this is our holiday mailbag episode, but of course, before we get to that, our usual housekeeping, if you're not in the Discord, check it out. It's the best place to go to chat with us, chat with the Traficionado community, post your trophies, post your, your what's the picks, all sorts of things like that. And when we do these mailbag episodes, we grab our questions directly from the Discord. So that is where you should be if you want to submit questions, not only for the mailbags, but also for our week, uh, listener question of the week. The link to the discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We really can't thank you all enough and it is a holiday season, but you know, we're also just um, celebrating you guys giving the gift to us of being patrons. It's (laughs) it's uh, an ongoing gift and we really can't thank you enough. Perks over there on the Patreon include things like our draft doctor series stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings and our draft Chaff hero cards signed by Ben and I and sent to you in the mail. So you can check that out again at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. All right. Crack a draft type thing, Ben vintage
1: cube is back. Mm-hmm. It's always an exciting time when the holiday cube is here. Uh, I try to chain as many Vintage Cubes as I can uh, around this time because they usually stock every uh, everyone's account with one, and they actually did that this year, which is cool. Uh, so if you have a an MTGO account, uh, you have a Vintage Cube ready to go, so you can just go play it. Honestly, even if it seems intimidating, even if it seems like it could be a, a spooky format, as honestly that's how I felt about it for a long time, just go do it. It's it's so much fun. Uh, yeah, you might get destroyed the first few times, but you get to see some really cool stuff. Like, Also, if you've never... Like, use the Black Lotus to play a Jace the Mind Sculptor on turn one. Then I don't know. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> like, you, you get to do some really busted stuff. So, um, we're going to take a look at a at a vintage Q Pack 1 pick one here. Just kind of run through some general ideas. Now, this is from the last version. Uh, I grabbed this from a sim without the other changes. So, actually, some of these cards aren't going to be in it. I'll try to mention the ones that, that I notice. Uh, first up, we have uh, Braids Cabal Minion. Just not exactly the type of thing you you, you want to value too much. Um, there's super busted things you can do in this cube. And uh, I guess you'd rather try to start with one of those. Like, honestly, pack one, pick one, a vintage cube. You can skim through a whole bunch of stuff. Gonti Lord of Luxury, you also can kind of skim over. I think better than Braids, actually exact same mana value. I think I would take Ganti over Braids just because uh, playing your opponent's deck can be pretty good when your opponent's deck might also have like a time walk in it. Very true. I think the interesting thing about Vintage Cube, and we've talked about this a million
0: times, like pretty much every time the cube comes up, we we talk about this, but you're always looking for the irreplaceable effects in your in your you know opener, the first couple of packs here. And the funny thing is, I think in Vintage Cube, more so than just about any other format, you actually have like a, a short list of cards to take in the first pack, rather than like looking yeah. at what's the best thing in the pack. It's like, if I don't see any of these cards, I'm not taking anything really.
1: Yeah, it's like, well you know what the, the S tier bombs are and you try to get one of those early because that, that that does kind of influence the way you go. Although Vintage Cube, when everything is generally a pretty high and flat high power level, you kind of have some leeway in the direction you want to go. For example, like, yeah, sometimes aggro is open, but you could just start with, like, for example, our next card, Student of Warfare. You can just be like, okay, Student of Warfare is in pack one pick one, I just want to slam that. Hopefully Mono White's open and if that's just kind of thing you like doing, then you know, go know with model white. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are the power as well, which we don't have of
0: any of in this pack, but
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I should mention checking out the change log. It looks like Gandhi is being replaced by shoulder, of the Apocalypse. So if you had a shoulder here in place, yeah, that's actually probably a card that's gonna pull its weight in Vintage Cube. Again, not gonna be the best thing. Definitely not we want to take pack one pick one, but it'll be like a solid thing in a deck. Uh that with brainstorm, pretty good.
0: Yeah, of course, you also have lands, which are good early picks. We've got a handful of them in this pack. There's bad lands. There's a Geist Cradle. There are a couple of red-green dual lands, one of which is uh, a stomping ground, which is great in terms of uh, you know being able to fetch it and such. And there's also a Spars Headquarters in this pack.
1: Yeah, so the fetchable ones are, are pretty great, obviously. like you, uh, You really care about having access to a lot of colors. There's a general kind of default vintage cube deck that is like three or four colors. It's blue, it's green, it's black. It's sometimes red and sometimes white, but those ones tend to have a little more monocolored support um, where you end up just with this value pile and having good duels and having the ability to like, I don't know, cast your brainstorms and, and thing like uh, serum visions early to then kind of power out your late game stuff like big to fairies and planeswalkers later. Uh, you need good mana for that. And uh, the key of, of the Vintage Cube mana base is fetches and shocks. Uh, and, of course, the, the, uh, the tri-lands can be fetched out with shocks as well because they have the basic land type. So, like, there's a Stomping Ground and a Copper Line Gorge in this pack. Both of them are red-green lands. Um, copper Line Gorge is the the fast land for red-green. Stomping Ground is the shock land. I would take the shock land over the fast land every time. Uh, now, a note about Gaia's Cradle, which is also in this pack, huge in mono-green. Gaia's Cradle and Rafelos are two of the so two of the cards that give mono green some of the most busted draws. Uh, Guy's Cradle, for those that don't know, uh, you tap to add green mana equal to each creature you t- each creature you control. So if you give uh, three creatures, it taps for three green mana. Uh, it does not tap for mana without any creatures on your battlefield. So if you play this on turn one, hoping to cast a or Elves off of it, it doesn't work. Uh, so you got to be a little careful when you play this one. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily start with it. You'd probably like to see this like pick three after you first pick a rafellos or something like that or like a green sun zenith or or, now you take that later too i don't know like a crater hoof behemoth is another top mono green payoff next up is spell pierce very very good i know it looks like a kind of it doesn't look quite as powerful as any of these massive mythics but when your opponents are playing massive mythics the ability to spell pierce say they're i don't know five mana to fairy that's huge you answered a five mana threat for one mana and didn't fall too high behind on board like that's really strong next up Merktad regent the modern and other format all-star uh solid and vintage cube 2, of course i haven't had too much experience with this one you know it's kind of newer into the vintage cube uh but i can only assume it's pretty solid there so we have a Holana and elena partners uh in uh in our pack here but looking at the change log, they're actually being uh, replaced by mary a scholar of antiquity that's the uh the red-green rare, the 3-mana the three 3-3, three, three, that didn't really see any play in Dominary United. Uh, she's the one where you can tap untapped non-token artifacts to add green mana, and tap two untapped non-token artifacts you control to exile the top card of your library and play it this turn. This actually reminds me a bit of Urza, Lord High Artificer. And that's a fantastic card in Vintage Cube. I think Maria could really be strong in Vintage Cube. You can have a lot of artifacts laying around. Not to mention, sometimes you just run up with random mana artifacts like Moxin, or uh, if you're very lucky, Soul Ring. Soul Ring is pretty much the best card in the cube. Mana Crypt. Sometimes you have these in the late game without much to do with them. But there are also just like big artifact decks, ones that are trying to go with huge mana, a- and then cast like massive artifact uh, haymakers. Yeah, that sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, definitely one I'm excited to try out from the new changes. Uh, we have, I mentioned Student of Warfare earlier, but this is a very strong card in Mono White. It's really a good one drop with uh, with level up, and honestly, one of the scariest things to see your opponent play on turn one.
0: Yeah, I mean, with the level up being only a single white mana, it gets really messy really fast for your, for anybody on the other side of the board from this thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Next up is General Ferris Rokirik, who's actually being replaced by Aurelia, the Warleader. Uh, Aurelia is the massive 3-4 Boros Angel. Um, whenever she attacks, untap all attacking creatures, uh, and there's an additional combat step. It's 6 mana. For a Flying Vigilance, haste 3-4, yes, but it's 6 mana. That's an awful lot of mana. I don't know. I don't think you're taking this in red-white very highly at all. <laughs> Plus, red-white isn't exactly where you want to be. You'd much rather be mono-white or mono-red. Usually, you end only you only end up at red-white if... You kind of floundered and one of the colors wasn't super open and you wound up in a weird hodgepodge. You can win games with red, white, but I don't really see Aurelia getting you there. Like by that point, you're going to win games that you are going to win already. Yep. All right. The last few cards in our pack are some, uh, there's some strong ones. We've got Mizzium Mortars. This is one of the red. It's the deal for, and you can overload it to deal for to all of your opponent's things. It's obviously strong. It's, you know, it's no cyclonic rift, but. Sometimes you'd rather have your opponent's stuff dead than back in their hand. Now, our last two picks here are actually probably the ones that I gravitate towards most. Uh, Teferi Time Reveler, 3-Fairy, everyone's favorite. We all know him, we all love him. Uh, When your opponents are hoping to counterspell, mana drain, spell pierce, locking down their ability to play spells at instant speed is obviously huge. This can shut off entire game plans in Vintage Cube. Plus, sometimes if you ramp this out early, they might just never get a chance to interact with it. Uh, this is a very strong card, provided that you can cast it. Our last card out of this pack, Lelia, the Blade Reforged. This has become one of my favorite first picks in both Vintage Cube and Arena Cube, because it's, it's on Arena now. <laughs> I think it was in one of the anthologies or something. I don't really know why. Got inserted into a Historic, I think. Uh, this card is nuts those that don't know it it's two and a red it's a two two spirit war warrior with haste it came from one of the commander decks if i remember right uh, so mm-hmm. you know vintage legal uh whenever she attacks exile the top card of your library you may play it this turn just three mana two two haste with that ability is already pretty sick and then whenever you exile one or more cards in the top of your library uh and or your graveyard put a one one counter on lelia you'd be surprised how many things trigger this it is not hard to give her you know more counters than you'd expect for example uh chandra torture defiance her her uptick pretty much the the best chandra there is her uptick exiles cards on top of your library there's all sorts of red effects that do this um and you don't even have to cast them for her to get the bonus so really when she attacks she puts a counter on herself she's attacking functionally as a three mana three three haste and you get to draw the card for the turn (laughs) like uh you want to be a little careful you can play the card so don't play land before combat but uh yeah, Lelia is awesome. I would I would first pick slam Lalia here.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's essentially what we see these days as Reds card draw. Um yeah. is like exile a top card until the end of next turn or something like that. So
1: yeah. Yeah. I also wouldn't fault anyone for taking uh Teferi if you were a mono white fan, student of warfare. Uh honestly, spell pierce or murktide are probably a little lower, uh, but maybe worth taking. Um the reason I'm taking Lelia over something like uh Gaia's Cradle is because Gaia's Cradle is very very strong in one specific deck. Lelia can be fantastic in mono red, but it could also be fantastic in maybe like a white red pile or a red green pile or some sort of uh, like mid rangey teamer build with like blue interaction and counterspells and and red and green uh, beaters. Uh, Lelia fits in a lot more decks and is. Um, Close in power level.
0: All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low for the past week.
1: What's going on, Ben? Let's see. Uh, First of all, got to shout out Ratafia, who hosted a fantastic limited event this past weekend that a few of us listeners attended. So um, basically, it was a return to Ravnica Draft, and uh, it's one of your favorite formats. Sorry you couldn't attend, (laughs) but it, it, it was a great time. I've never played it before. I think pretty much everyone there hadn't played it before. Uh, so just getting the crack packs of a set, um, that's, you know, revered and and enjoyed, uh, was really fun. Uh, it was a great time. Um, good times were had by all I played a black green rock deck, had a desecration demon, won some fun games with that. And, uh, you know, it was just a good day of, of drafting. Um, some other good things today at school. I totally forgot that our, our PTO was bringing in a bunch of food for the teachers. So I basically spent all day whenever I had like an off period, I would just go to the teacher's lounge and like get more quiche, <laughs> which is a pretty, pretty good way to spend the day. Uh, I also, I got all my holiday shopping done early this year, which is really strange. I'm usually a big procrastinator when it comes to that type of thing, but I actually got it all done for once so I felt strangely at peace in our in our weeks leading up to the holidays now some uh some some tibble action we're about to have a pretty messy holiday travel season for us especially right yeah I think actually the midwest is gonna get hit way worse than we are we're getting like the
0: edge of the storm midwest is getting completely rocked by it so if you're in the midwest stay safe
1: yeah it sounds like we're all gonna need it um it looks I I mean we're supposed to travel down to uh to south jersey this uh this holiday weekend but It looks like the storm is going to be hitting us just in time, so I don't know. Hopefully don't get too snowed in. Yeah, stay safe out there, everyone. So
0: for me, this week, my Teferi, I'm finally getting some time off next week. I have the whole week off, which is going to be great. Um, And this particular week, I usually take the last week of the year off every year, and um, I like to take most of that time. I'm going to basically like still get up at my usual time i'll go to a coffee shop and i'll sit and do my personal annual review which just kind of goes through a bunch of aspects of my life for the year and sees like where i've made some growth and where i've maybe missed some goals that i was hoping to hit and things like that and then that helps me also kind of prioritize things for the following year um, really excited to do it's one of my favorite times of the year um lots nice. of introspection and just kind of chilling and you know figuring myself out i guess uh, so that, i'm really excited for that that'll be fun and then I'll echo my tibble is also the, the travel trouble. Potentially. Um, I think I'm actually going to leave. One of the benefits of working from home is that I can leave whenever I feel like it. So I think I'm going to probably get out of here a day or two earlier than I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to skip our listener question of the week because we've got a ton of listener questions to get through this episode. We are, of course, doing our holiday mailbag. And if you've been listening for the last couple of weeks, we have been not really providing any details, but we've mentioned that there will be a giveaway for all. Uh, and and to enter, you had to submit questions for this mailbag. We'll circle back on who the winner is at the end of the show. But yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, stick around for that. But any of you who ask questions have automatically been answered to win that. Should we give them the prize now or should we tell them that, what that is later?
1: Eh, we'll tell them later. Let's right. just get right into our first question, right? I think probably the best one to start with uh, comes from Dorgan. How's DraftChaff year three going? Are we in year three? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of about to be right.
0: What did we, did we celebrate? Oh gosh, I can't even remember. Are we coming? We're coming up on our third anniversary though. We haven't hit our third
1: anniversary yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's
0: it. Yeah. So I mean, technically we're in our second year, but we're we're coming up. Okay. Okay. We're coming up on year three and I would say year two has been going pretty well. Um, if we want to get into like analytics specifics, we can do some of that next
1: week, but (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we, we usually do an end of year review episode as well. So maybe let's save that for next week, but I've been really enjoying it. There was actually a brief bit this year where we considered canceling the show and nobody, <laughs> none of this is, you've heard it here first. No listener has been privy to this information. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was a brief minute. I think I gave Ben a heart attack cause it was more on my end than it was on his end. Um, if, uh, if oh, we you want it out.
1: Zach to cancel the show, just like comment and subscribe. Let us know in the discord. <laughs>
0: Oh gosh. The whole the the whole crew. We're gonna get so many Discord, uh so many new Discord members that are just like, get them off.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, um honestly, I don't blame you. There was a time this year where I think everyone was pretty low on magic. We had a long stretch. Uh it was around the time of Nuka Panna where people were just pretty off of it in general. Um, and that's all right, you know, like the 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 love of it ebbs and flows with the seasons, and uh there's always more stuff coming, but there's always more stuff to do. And that's both an upside and a downside, but You know, managing it is is fun on its own.
0: Yeah, I think. And also for me personally, it was a mix of some stuff I was dealing with personally. Um, Obviously, that kind of, I guess, ebb that we were in with the with the seasons of magic. And then, you know, a mix of putting in hours of work to a show every week because I was being really hard on myself about the editing because I do all the editing myself. And I was putting way more time into the show than I actually was into the game. Yeah. And like there was a weird misstep there where like I, I wasn't even really playing the game, but we were still doing the show and it felt kind of weird for me. So mm-hmm. but that all got fixed with Dominaria.
1: Yeah. Honestly, um, th- this newest cycle, I guess, of, of Dominaria stuff, it's been really enjoyable. I've really enjoyed the story. Uh, it's I found it exciting, like knowing that some of my favorite Planeswalkers might get completed kind of kind of brings you in, you know, yeah. Um, also just the gameplay. I think DMU has been fantastic. Uh, bro has grown on me and I got to say winning the open <laughs> didn't, uh, Gee, that, that made me enjoy I the format. Say. That helped me enjoy the format a little more, but, uh, <laughs> uh all, all that aside, I, again, um, I've been having a pretty, pretty good year on the podcast. I, I mean, especially with winning the open, that's a goal that I set for myself. Um, I, I know I hoped to win it this year and I guess I kind of squeaked it out just in time, but, uh, hopefully I win another one next year.
0: Do you think that the show had a direct impact on your ability to win that? Or would you have won it this time this year without the show?
1: Oh no, it's, it's the show for sure. Cause I, I think with the show, we, it, it does help us, you know, dedicate a bit of time to the game, which, you know, we do love and enjoy and we would be playing anyway. But, um, I don't know. I'm not, it's funny to say that I'm motivated by wanting to share my trophy decks, but like, you know, if, if I'm like at five and, th- and two and I'm like, man, I got to push through. This is a sick deck. I want to put this in the trophy discord. I'm going to focus it a little bit more, you know, I'm going to hone in on that. (laughs) So um, plus like just prepping for shows in general, I I feel like we're a little more involved in limited community. We, we kind of know our stuff a little more. Um, we do a lot of research when sets come out, for example. So uh, I don't, I don't think with the show without the show, I don't think I would have won this.
0: Well, that kind of segues to our next question here. And this one comes from Wolverine. How long did it take you before you knew you were good at magic? He put good in quotes, which I think is very <laughs> useful because I was going to say, we call ourselves chaff for a reason. And Ben's yeah. put up numbers. Ben has yeah. finished actual events. Yeah. I have I not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think we all have our streaks here and there, right? Um, sometimes I make a punt and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I, I think I'm good sometimes. But at this point, like, I, I know that I can put up numbers and I guess winning an open helped solidify that. And it, it, it kind of validated me and made me think, well, actually all this time that I've put in, huh, it wasn't just for nothing. Right. Um, plus I, I enjoy F and M's and I, I like have fun at those. And, and, uh, if I win them, you know, it's a fun time. Uh, I think it took a while before, before I knew, um, I can remember distinctly the times at which I was not good. Uh, I remember after you taught me in high school. I remember playing in college at my college club, and it was the oh, it was on uh, Zendikar. It was the last time we were there, on Battle for Zendikar. And I distinctly remember drafting black white allies decks over and over again, week after week, at my at my uh my magic club at Rutgers. Just terrible, terrible decks. I'd have like one Colostria healer and then just like five other allies, and then just a bunch of black-white garbage. And I thought it was fun. I just loved Colostria Healer and, like, triggering it. It's a two-mana card. It says whenever a, another ally enters the battlefield, you drain your opponent. The joke is you're supposed to play, like, three of them and then just play a bunch of allies and drain your opponent out. It's like an Aristocrats deck. Zulaport Cutthroat is in that set. Um, except I would just force it, and I would just get crushed week after week. <laughs> and... Um, I knew I wasn't very good then. I think I've since obviously made a lot of improvements in the way I play and the reasoning and the methods for which I play, right? Back then I was doing it because it was fun. It was what I wanted to do. Now I've since, I still do that, right? But now I focus a little more on, well, winning is also fun, you know? I can both do what I want to do, but also explore more archetypes and vectors that I haven't really experience before like back then you would have never caught me playing a blue red deck you know it was just not my style now i do if it's the thing to do if it's good and if it's fun i'm gonna do it right we uh we're we're, we're getting a little spiky sometimes with my occasional uh win <laughs> but i think we're, we're timmy's at heart right
0: yeah i mean i think what you just described is was like recognizing it was that point at which you recognize that forcing a deck is not the correct thing you should be drafting the deck that's correct for your seat regardless of colors if you want like a good deck um but yeah we are i mean we we the first thing either of us really do when a new format comes out is like windmill slam whatever rare we open just so we can (laughs) mess around
1: with it and see what we can come up with matters way more than than power
0: yeah and I, i think that that's like you know part of the reason that we even decided to call this draft chaff was just that like we cared more about having fun than winning yeah. And I think a lot of the times the two come together where like the more you win at a format, the more you're enjoying it. Totally. But there are situations where you can lose and like the excitement or the happiness or the enjoyment you're getting out of a format is not directly tied to your wins. If the games are still fun to play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: that's kind of what we try to focus
1: on. So here's a fun one from vampire learn. What would be a good universe is beyond that players would be excited for? Ooh. So that's, I, a, that's a, Tough
0: question to answer because I feel like similar to the secret layers, like every universe is beyond is going to anger somebody and make somebody <laughs> else happy. That's true. I personally, As strange as it might be to say, I think I'd personally like to see a Star Wars one.
1: Yeah, I think that would make a lot of people happy, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I mean, they did 40K, Warhammer 40K, so maybe the whole like sci-fi thing would not be where they'd want to go next. But we know Lord Mm -hmm. of the Rings is coming up, so that would kind of get the fantasy side of things. Maybe they go back to sci-fi with with Star Wars. That'd be really fun. I'd love a Marvel one or a DC one.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. They're could probably really in fun. the future, you know, I, I don't know if it'll be in the next year or 10 years, but there's only so many crossovers they could do. I mean, we had a Fortnite secret layer, right? <laughs> like nothing is off limits here. Well, I guess
0: that's, that's a kind of an extended part of the question is like, because universes beyond covers so many different t- product types. Like what would you want to yeah. see the next one be?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really okay with secret layers at this point. I think they're, yeah. Just solidly fine. Uh, Sometimes they're overpriced, right? Like, I would never pay $40 for five basics. That's (laughs) that's absurd. But if you're paying $40 for, like, $40 worth of good playable rares, whether they're playable in Commander or Modern, or you just want to, like, foil out a collection, like, you know, as long as those cards are still available elsewhere, like, that was the biggest problem with some of the original ones, that you just couldn't buy those mechanically unique cards anywhere else. And it turned out some of them were, like, seeing play. Like, that is... That's messed up. That's bad. Uh, I, I'm also trying to think specifically about kind of universally beloved things. Uh, I have a few ideas, uh, especially given like the demographics that the magic tends to appeal to. Um, Muppets. I think you could slam <laughs> a Muppets <laughs> secret layer, like I just Muppet art on like random cards. I couldn't tell you what they could come up with something. I if anyone got oh, upset on, about Kermit that, instead like, of get Rog Monster. Perfect. Oh, d- genius! Brilliant! Like there's not i i would i would buy 10 you know <laughs> like that would be so funny You are the
0: raise miss piggy
1: yeah yeah exactly like who would really be upset about this um i i would i, love I, I don't that. know that would be hilarious that that would be too funny to get upset over um another one that popped into my head for some reason that i don't really i don't really know why i guess this one would probably come with like this would be the type one that would start with mechanically unique cards kind of like the uh I guess the street fighter one. And then they'd get reprinted later. Uh, twin peaks. I, I think twin peaks is pretty universally beloved. I, I can't really think of any haters out there for it, especially with some of the, the magic demographics too. I feel like either people would be, uh, they just wouldn't care or they'd be like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Like I would slam a Dale Cooper commander deck, <laughs> but, um, that's, that's me personally.
0: Yeah, I will say, I mean, I mentioned star Wars, but the only set that I've ever tried to design myself that would technically fall under universes beyond was an avatar last airbender set. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see a full, like similar to the way they're doing Lord of the Rings. I'd
1: love to see a full ATLA set. That could be fantastic. Um, it, it would work out really well color identity wise. Um, although I guess, well, there, there'd be a few issues in there. I mean, mono black wouldn't really jive with any exist. of the existing. Yeah. I don't really there are know only Four
0: elements. So
1: I don't think there's a single mono black, character in no in the avatar universe maybe um, oh who's the one that rides the sheer shoe what's her name oh you put me on the spot here <laughs> i want to say i don't think she's mono black you do uh, she, she cares about profit she's totally profit motivated that's true or maybe i always just maybe kind of thought like, of her
0: as rakdos she's also kind of into that like party-ish sort oh, of thing going on.
1: Yeah. Or maybe like and she's some from of the, the Fire Dai Nation. Lee. I just
0: assume everybody from the Fire Nation is red.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> true. I mean, some of the Dai Li could be mono black, like the like Longfang, the leader of the Dai Li. He could be mono black. Um, Maybe some spirits yeah. out there are mono black. Not not buy though.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not hay He-bye.
1: Anywho. hay is probably uh, blue, to be honest. Oh, really? Hold on. Esper, yeah.
0: do you think? Could be. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, you got to make the black and white spirit black and white. You can't, <laughs> you can't get around that one. I suppose. Yeah, I would think
0: Esper. All right, here's a fun one from Pessimistic corn. If you could bring one artifact from the Magic Universe history any to anywhere across the multiverse into the real world, what would it be?
1: Oh, man. I have one that pops in my head immediately, and then I have a few other ideas. Uh, first of all, Helm of the Host. I would slam Helm of the Host. If I could clone myself, you know how easy life would be? I say this That's all the fair. time. Uh, Also, you don't have to sacrifice any copies of me. I am a legendary creature, obviously. Uh,
0: So, so (laughs) You are the only you that exists. That's true.
1: Yeah. um, Anyway, so I've I've often said, like, how much easier my life would be if I could just simply clone myself. I would have one of me go to school and be a teacher. I'd have one of me probably go back to college and learn a bunch more astrophysics. Uh, Probably have one of me go and join a band. Uh, that'd be Well, cool. hold on,
0: hold on. I think you're operating under some false assumptions here. Yeah. A, you assume you get to control these copies. The creatures that you put Helm of the Host on do not get to control themselves. Uh, so okay. Th- there's that. Uh, you're also assuming that anything that these other copies of yourself experience, the main one of you is
1: also experiencing, which I don't think the card shows would be the case. Okay, okay. So it'd be like different consciousnesses. But then we get into a big, big problem. We yep. get into the problem <laughs> of uh, if someone had a mechanically identical brain to yours, like down to the neuron, do they show your consciousness? And I don't know if we have time on this podcast to answer that question. They don't. Let's discuss it in the discord. Someone start the conversation in random because, oh, I don't know. We, we could cite some articles for this. There was that um, they, they mapped C. elegans, the worm, uh, its entire like genome, and they, they simulated one. So I was talking to my students about this the other day, just off topic. Uh, I was I was telling them, well, would a simulated worm that is as technically complex as a real worm, would it you know, be as alive and would it think it's real? And they were like, what are That's you talking about? That's not the same about? thing as
0: having a we're, copied consciousness or a linked well,
1: they, consciousness. They were, well, they were like, what are you talking about, Mr. Fisher? We're trying to review for an exam. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, and I was like, no, no, this is important. So uh, I don't know. The question would be like, if you could, uh, model an entire human's brain and in, in, in a, in a computer or in a clone, uh, would they share a consciousness? I don't know. Probably not.
0: Well, I think, no, I don't think they would. Right. Because I, I think there is, there's definitely a difference between sharing a consciousness and having two copies of the same consciousness, right? Yeah, Sharing so it implies like, there's a link between the two. And I don't think, I don't think that, having a copy implies you'd have a connection.
1: Yeah. Like you wouldn't, if, if one of your copies say died as could happen with Helm of the host, right? Like sometimes those tokens get bounced. Um, then it's not like the one would take over the memories of both. I don't think. No, no, those memories would just be lost. Anyway, the, the, uh, (laughs) the consciousness, unique versions of me would probably all go find fun things to do without. And then we'd every, every month or so we would all meet up. Although I don't really know what, what, (laughs) what defines a combat step. In, in real life, anytime you're about to get into a fight, you put on the hat and a copy of yourself pops in.
0: Yeah, it's like uh like anytime your blood pressure hits a certain level. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> trying anxiety to spikes.
1: <laughs> you're trying to park in Jersey City and <laughs> like a, a, a copy of you appears in the passenger seat to, to guide you through it. That counts as combat yeah. for sure. Or to like go yeah. outside and like fight the cards, trying to uh, scalp your spot. Anywho, um, I think Helm of the Host comes to mind immediately. I think some of the swords could be cool. Uh, sort of the animist. Maybe it'd be cool to have a a sword you can swing and just make like a nice gravel path appear in front of you. Um, Those, those came to mind immediately.
0: Yeah. I was trying to think of some practical ones. There were a few that immediately I, I I, like ignored, you know, any of the ones that sacrifice themselves. They're only one-off uses. I don't, I don't need one of those. Yeah. Um, No way. The first one that actually came to mind was filigree familiar, which is kind of cheating because it's a creature, but it is an artifact. And I'd love to have that little dude running around in my apartment or, you know, hanging out. Yeah, that's
1: um, true. that'd
0: be cool. So those were, but then I was starting to think like some of the more powerful, like really crazy ones. Like, I don't know, maybe the, um, the planar bridge would be kind of cool. Cause teleportation yeah. has always been something that like, I wish I had the ability to do. And I don't know what a planar bridge in our world would do. Cause no, there's no proof that we actually exist in a multiverse. So if it's just like a spatial yeah, bridge yeah. that moves you from one place, one set of coordinates to another, in space and not necessarily time or whatever. Like, cool. Oh, we'll I'm, I'm use fine a temporal anchor. There's that. Yeah. We could use a temporal anchor. Although I'm not so sure
1: I'm comfortable splitting my soul for my body. <laughs> Teferi was fine. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, once he though, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his soul got partitioned, I guess. I don't know. He's probably fine. Yeah.
0: But also something like, um, Venser's journal would be really cool. Cause that applies. It oh, has yeah. like infinite information or something. um, I don't know. So something along those lines where like, I can just kind of learn whatever I want would be really cool.
1: I feel like Venter's journal would translate to an infinite photographic memory, right?
0: Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously pretty sick. good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or like, I don't think I'm crazy enough to go for the chain veil.
1: I, I don't think so. Oh, but what does that, what does that even do on a person? Like I, it helps I mean, you just double activate, but what is, what is an activator that building? you just get
0: twice as good at anything you're already capable <laughs> of.
1: It does curse you a little bit though, right? It does, yeah. So that's
0: like the, maybe, and then the question not. is, I guess, like the acquisition, like, do we have to acquire it the same way people in a magic story acquired it? Like, do I have to yeah. go make a pact with seven demons to to get a hold of the chain veil? I don't yeah. know. That that sounds tricky.
1: I mean, there's there's other other solid artifacts I can think of. The the cauldra cycle, right? The helm, the shield, all that. Um, it'd be cool to just kind of put on this like Iron Man-esque suit of armor and just go around exiling things and, or like Argentum armor or commander's plate or something. Just make yourself indestructible, blow up things wherever you walk. Uh, Those all seem pretty good.
0: Yeah. And then there are a a ton of like really functional ones. You know, we could do something like the Cosmos Elixir or Alhammer's archive where like They have some actual function or we could pick some vehicles, you know,
1: I was going to say a fleet wheel cruiser. (laughs) Like that thing is stylish. Cruiser
0: would be great. There's, um, what's the one that was like so good and limited. They had to remove it when they brought it back to arena.
1: Oh, uh, was it renegade freighter?
0: Renegade freighter would be great.
1: Yeah. The pain train. (laughs) Oh yeah. I
0: don't know where I'd put it, but
1: that would be pretty fun. (laughs) Be cool to have a train. You could summon out of your pocket. All right. A bit back to actual gameplay from Calcifer. What was the most useful gameplay level up you've experienced so far? One that felt like a transition where you realized a change had impacted your win rate.
0: Yeah, for me, I, I've talked about this a few times on the show, but for me it's um land usage or mana mana efficiency, right? Like yeah. using all of your lands every turn. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself like whenever I get into a rut and I notice like my gameplay starts to slip, I always go back to that and I just yeah. stop like I stop even really necessarily caring about like ordering of of effects or any of those kinds of things. And I'm just like, let's use my mana every turn. Like, that is my goal for this mm-hmm. game, is to use every every bit of man I have every turn for the rest of the game. And nine times out of ten, you end up winning those games.
1: Yeah, that's true. A recent gameplay level up that I've had is um, knowing how to order your cards, like card sequencing. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, when you have equivalent plays, uh, it, it does come down to a bit of format knowledge, like knowing uh, what your opponent might be doing and, and like a, on the crack back, that type of thing. But uh, just knowing to... For example, given the chance to play a removal spell that costs three on turn three, or a three drop that costs three on turn three, uh, in an aggressive set, you more likely want to play the three drop because you want to convert your hand into onboard presence into damage against your opponent as fast as possible. Sure, the removal spell is still a good use of a card, right? But at that point, you're losing onboard advantage. Uh, This is kind of the level up that's helped me realize why. Symmetrical white card draw is so good, especially when attached to creatures. I'm not even joking. Zach is laughing on camera right now, but I'm not even kidding. This is why something like Farsight Adept, 3 mana 3, 3, ETB, both players draw a card. Um, you're converting from your hand into onboard cardage, uh, onboard stats, um, and also drawing yourself a card. And if you're converting that efficiently enough, then you're drawing like pump spells, removal spells. Yeah, you give your opponent the card, but if you're able to convert your hand onto the battlefield more efficiently than your opponent, by actually like what Zach said, tapping all your mana each turn sequencing properly. You're just going to win so many more games than ones where you say, like hold up a combat trick and then your opponent plays around it. And then you're like, whoops, I accidentally just like didn't do anything or your opponent attacks differently than you expected. And you're forced to use a trick to eat a smaller creature than you wanted to um, just to like use your mana efficiently. Uh, knowing how to play out your hand based on the texture of the format and of your vector of your deck. Um, I found very impactful. I think that's probably why I've been faring a lot better in aggressive formats recently, including in brother's war.
0: Uh Oh, your assault on Phyrexia didn't quite go to plan and you're going to be completed. However, you can choose which Praetor completes you. Who do you choose? That's a question <laughs> by Dorgan.
1: Uh, I also like the, the gift organ attached, which is a, a very solid Futurama reference of, well, uh, you go check the discord if you want to see why (laughs) there's there's some nsfw humor in here anywho um ah, man so i guess you're also kind of saying well all the praetors kind of complete in their own way like we've seen that the ones that have been completed by like vorinclex are different distinctly than the ones completed by shieldred um they all kind of have their own vibes to them uh honestly i all right, from a, from a story perspective, I think I want Urbrask to complete me the most because it seems like Erbrask instills a little bit of rebellious nature and maybe even a little bit of like the the original mind and and ideas in there because it seems like Erbrask is not that big a fan of Alice Nord uh, and, and honestly the other Praetors too. I know there's infighting kind of among all of them. They all kind of want to be on top, but Erbrask uh, seems to leave the most humanity in the ones they complete. I don't know. I'd rather be on the, uh, I guess, the the side of good here, and it seems like Urabrask is kind of the one to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, if we look at like the the older Urabrask, the flavor text. I think this is the older one anyway. Yeah, back from New Phyrexia. the The flavor text was: "When the Miran Resistance arrived, the Furnace Dwellers looked to Urabrask for guidance. His decree stunned the others. Let them be."
1: Yeah, yeah. He's uh, but- he's always been the rebel, and now he was the one that came to research Halo. To try to figure right. out a way to defeat Elish Norton. So something something weird is cooking in the Great Furnace with, with Erebrask. Then again, if I'm yeah, going for raw power, you know, I might just go with children
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think um I think I'm on the same same path as you. I, I think idealistically I would want Erebrask to complete me just for the potential upside of maybe also still having my some semblance of myself exist. Um I'm looking at a list of all the Praetors here just to look at like the old card versions and uh, it's kind of it's kind of remarkable how and i never noticed this until just looking at this the arts for all the new ones are like either mirrors or very very similar to the original arts from the first cards it's kind of hmm. interesting also cool. for some reason i totally miss the gix is of praetor yeah yeah um i
1: don't know like, what happened the to gix on that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know the lore, or if there have been others in between. I know obviously Gix is from a very long time ago, right? Because uh, we're seeing from, right. from the Brothers War, but I don't know what happened since. Not not super sure about that. If anyone knows uh, any any good Forthos, uh experts, let us know in the Discord.
0: Yeah. Um. That said, uh, power level wise, or like just ability wise, I guess I'd want Jin just because it's like kind of my the things Jin does are kind of my vibe. I don't really know enough lore to know like what Jin's Phyrexians are like compared to Shieldreds, compared to Elish compared to you know all the other ones like you said there is some there are like some distinct features between them all but I Mm -hmm. couldn't tell you what those are.
1: Now on the same topic Dorgan asked which Planeswalker should be completed next? What do you think?
0: Yeah I mean I I was a proponent for Jace Hmm. to be the next one it seems like spoiler alert I might have gotten that right
1: um yeah i i could tell you who i don't want completed i don't want vivian or kaya completed those are two of my favorites uh it's it's not looking the worst for them yet but kind of hard to say still i I don't know if they're totally safe i just don't understand how you'd be able to catch kaya you know like vivian yeah you could you could overpower with, with just pure phyrexian stuff right she can only summon so many spirit animals but like kaya how would you ever catch her unless you could find a way to disable her spirit magic which as far as I know, I don't think Phyrexians really... I don't think they really... They they, uh, they dabble in that, right? That's not really their area of magic.
0: Yeah, we never... I mean, it doesn't seem very characteristic of them, at least. All right, the next question is, what does your behind-the-scenes process to plan and edit an episode look like? And this one comes from Koga. Ooh, This is a good question, because I don't think we've ever actually walked through um, our full
1: like end-to-end process on this. Yeah, let's just start from the top of like making an episode.
0: Yeah, so... Ben and I split responsibilities on these episodes, so it typically starts with Ben writing show notes. Uh, Actually, even before that, we have quarterly meetings to plan out episodes for the quarter, so we typically know about three months in advance what episodes we're going to do and on what dates we're doing them. There is some slack there where like we we reserve the rights <laughs> between ourselves to make <laughs> adjustments if something cool comes up or we have an idea that we really want to talk about. Um, and then we have some flex spots as well that we tend to shift around. But we also have some staple episodes. If you've been listening for any extended amount of time, you'll know like every set we do, the first three episodes of the set are the same every every set. Like we mm-hmm. do our format breakdown, we do our live draft we do our first impressions and then we have a a few others that are recurring like the flavor towns and um our format farewells and things like mental magic yeah yeah. so anyway it starts with us planning about three months in advance what the episodes are going to be and what our schedule looks like and then ben will write the show notes for the upcoming episode we don't typically go too much further than one episode worth of show notes in advance at a time but Mm -hmm. um, ben put his his teacher skills to, to use and and made a nice template for us so that writing our show notes is pretty easy to do.
1: Honestly, um, we should share this sometime. I, I love our show notes. Uh, it's the same format that I use for making my weekly lesson plans. So uh, it's, it's all very color coordinated. It's all very organized. <laughs> Uh it, it's And if you're a that,
0: patron, you can already get access to them.
1: Yeah, it's true. Actually, yeah, if you want to go see them, just go become a patron. That, that's easy. So um just as I make my lesson plans such that any physics teacher could pick them up and teach the lesson, we kind of make our show notes such that any two podcast hosts could probably look at it and record an episode based off them, right?
0: For the most part. I mean, we don't script our shows, right? So we have like good talking notes and we usually have a lot of data. And sometimes we're reading from the show notes. Most of the time we're riffing off of stuff. Like we'll have ideas in the show notes and we just kind of riff off of the ideas that are there. Um, so you would still need some format knowledge to be able to do the shows even with the show notes. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, they're pretty self explanatory. Um, so that's what that is. And then we record, we've actually shifted our recording days a few times throughout the history of the show. Right now, we're recording Wednesdays um, for Friday releases, and so we record Wednesday. I edit the show on Thursday. Editing for me typically looks like downloading the audio files because we use a third-party recording platform that kind of immediately posts all of our audio files to the cloud, and I download those, do some edits in Audacity, then I throw them into Final Cut Pro to apply the last, like actual audio modifications in terms of like how we sound and, and cleaning up some of the audio and then adding video. If you're watching on Spotify, you'll get that video. I don't typically upload them to YouTube, uh, because there's not a whole lot to watch really. Um, and that's the editing process. And then it gets posted, uh, or scheduled to go up on Friday at noon Eastern standard time. So that's pretty, pretty much it. And then we repeat every
1: week. Yeah, honestly, it's it's a good system. Like it did take us a long time to kind of nail it. And obviously it's still flu. We still make changes here and there, but like does everything about our show notes. And I mean, we, we, we invested in some pretty solid mics. I mean, they're not like the, the world's greatest mics or anything, but these are definitely like podcast worthy mics. Right. Um, and just yeah. kind of like our, our, nice, like streamer setups that we've got. Um, it's, it, it, it works like every week it's, it's pretty easy. I, I don't feel like, especially now that you've kind of, uh, you've really gotten a handle on the editing. Um, Like, I think we have a a pretty good, uh, pretty good thing going.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, to give some flavor on some of the past history of the, the way the show was kind of run, um, we, I used to, I mean, I've, I've done the editing for the majority of the show. I'll get to that in a minute, but I used to cut every, um, and, uh, which meant I had to sit and listen to the whole show every single week. And I was pretty anal about cutting out any like mistakes or it's, and I still cut out all of our mistakes. But I don't cut out all of the ums and uhs and any of that those kinds of things.
1: Mistakes? I don't really know what right, you're talking about. We don't about. make those. Don't, yeah, I'm not sure about that. At least they've never yeah. heard of them. <laughs>
0: We're perfect. Um, yep. And uh, so it used to take me, if the episode was 50 minutes long, which I think is about our average, it would take me, even listening to it at two times speed, it would take me about 1.5 times episode length to do the the initial audio edits. And then I was doing video edits on top of that. And it when we first did the, the video edits, we actually had the... We have like art assets of each other, right? There's like a, a an animated version of Ben, an animated version of me that a friend of ours drew out. And we also had animations for them that would show which person was talking. But I had to go through every second, every frame of, uh, of the audio and put Imagine in that. the animation for when one of us was talking. So that would take that would take like three times episode length. So now I'm taking 4.5 times episode length per episode. That So that, I mean, at that point, it was costing me like six to seven hours a week just to edit the show. Yeah. Not including recording time. And those are like our average show lengths when we did our format breakdowns, which are typically like two hour episodes. It would take me, you know, 12, 13 hours to edit because I was also dropping in more art assets and things. I've trimmed all that away, which is from a production quality is probably not a good thing. But it's made it so much easier for me to actually keep up with. And the show doesn't make enough money for us to hire an editor. We did try that once, actually twice. We had Alias V, of all people, edit a couple of episodes for us. Um, Which is cool, you know. Really cool. And she's great to work with, but ended up costing too much, so we couldn't do it regularly. And we did have a different editor for a little while, but when we switched to a different recording software, some things got messed up and then the the relationship kind of deteriorated because... I don't know things happened. I don't really remember
1: exactly how that fell apart, but <laughs> yeah, it did.
0: Yeah, I'd love to outsource the editing eventually in the future as well, but the show doesn't make enough money to make it a regular thing at the moment.
1: Yeah, honestly, I'd be I'm happy just that we are able to support ourselves just like drafting, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that that's what that's what uh that's what really keeps us going with the show, you know. Like just every right. once in a while like knowing that we can play pre-release together like that's that, that's how we know we, we feel like we've made it you know and that's that's honestly the coolest thing it's something i'm super proud of it's like something that if i'm bragging about the show that's what i'm gonna brag about like we, we got such a great community
0: yeah and oh and we also used to post like reddit posts every episode that was up um and now for the last like handful of months i can't even remember how long it's been but for quite a while now ben also writes articles for Cardsphere, which is mm-hmm. part of our he does once a, one a month but Typically, we convert one of our episodes into the article for for that month. So once a month, that's also part of the I'll say part of the podcast.
1: Yeah. Stuff. So a question here from Dan Consiglio. What's the state of the Draft Chaff Cube? Any recent additions and will it make an appearance in any of your holiday plans? The state is great. I actually just got the last cards for my own copy of the Draft Chaff Cube. Uh, It's... It's sick. Uh, I love having this cube. Um, I, I have all my full art basics uh, with, with the draft kit. I have a bunch of dice to go with it. I ordered a bunch of uh, infinite tokens to, to go with it as well. Um, I even have some uh, some nice uh, packs that Zach got me ages ago knowing we were going to make a cube. And I, I never had anything to do with them, like uh, reusable uh, packs that that are just, you know, so great. And, and all of it finally came together. Uh, we're actually trying to start put together a a draft of this so people maybe in our area (laughs) i mean if you're in north jersey like i think we're gonna do this we might just have people coming together and draft it as for um whether it's gonna make an addition to my holiday plans one of my buddies is coming over on on friday today if you're listening on on release day uh to play some sealed with it not as good as a draft but you know we'll get to that eventually uh and any recent additions we do have some that we're looking to add from brothers war i don't know Scrapburg mutt might sneak in I'm also looking at the dragon. Gaia's growth is also top of top of mind. Oh yeah, Gaia's gift we're adding as well. Uh, some recent updates from DMU: we put in Keldon Flame Sage as part of the blue-red free casting deck. That's a fun one. I mean, if you can just get his power up a bit, you can free cast some big stuff. Micromancer as kind of like a fun build around. Uh, we have a bunch of good one mana, uh, instants and sorceries to go get. Ellis Ilkor is actually one of our new vector signposts. We, we took out, I think it was Cruel Celebrant. Ellis Ilkor is kind of just like way better. <laughs> so uh, we put that in instead. It also works as a like a soul sister. So now Black White can go infinite in a few ways. Uh, and Electrostatic Infantry as part of her Red White Heroic deck. So honestly, this cube, it's it's very chaffy. It's very draftable. And uh, I'm super excited to get more uh, more practice with it.
0: Yeah. And fun little spoiler alert um, to keep ourselves accountable because we've so little history on the draft Shaff cube. We we originally made it as a 360 cube and mm-hmm. um, that was great and all and we we weren't really keeping up with it. So it's it got kind of stale and then we rebuilt it into a 540 cube. And now to keep ourselves accountable and make sure that we're regularly looking at it to make updates, we're adding a section to the format farewell for every set where we'll talk about any potential additions or subtractions, and we're limiting ourselves. Was it five cards?
1: Yeah, honestly, some sets like Brothers War is a very artifact centric set, and that's not really what our cube is about. So I think we might have like two or three additions, maybe. But right. Some sets might have like two or three. Some sets might just, you know, perfectly line with our vectors, and we'll have like three or four. There's also so many supplemental sets to come out these days. Like, I don't know, maybe Dominari Remastered will turn some things into chaff that we want in our cube. There is a flicker theme in Dom Remastered. So Maybe that'll have some reprints of cards that'll chaffify them uh, that maybe we couldn't include before. There is a lot here. We've actually gotten some flack in the past for, uh, I guess, kind of already doing this, already chaffifying some cards. And we had our reasoning. The big one that comes to mind, some of the like first feedback we got about our cube was Falcon Wrath Aristocrat, uh, which is a format of 4-1 flyer. It's a vampire. Uh, you can sack stuff to give it indestructible. And if it was a human, I think it like puts a counter on it. Um, people were like, that's not chaff. (laughs) And, uh, well, it it was like very, very strong at one point, uh, like in, in standard, but then it got reprinted in like a master set in which it was chaff. Like it, it was, it was valuable for a long time, but then it became chaff and people weren't happy about our definition of chaff. Um, we ended up cutting it from the cube anyway, but, I would solidify, say that's, that's like chaff. That's gotta be chaff. If it is, if it can be chaff, if it is currently chaff, then it is chaff. But by the way, our definition of chaff, for those that don't know, it's uh, any card that could be found laying around on a table after a draft. And I think you could find a Falcon aristocrat laying around on a table after a master's draft.
0: Yeah, essentially just like what what's not valuable enough to be taken to be put in some deck somewhere.
1: Yeah, and like, Seeing a bunch of standard play that does, you know, unshaffify something. It's not just like commons or chaff or something like that. Like uh right. I think it's undying or, or Feign death. A bunch of cards recently just shot up in value uh because of Rakto's scam, the new big modern hotness deck. It's basically just good black-red stuff, but it's kind of going for like a grief ephemerate thing. It's playing Grief and Fury, the black and red uh evoke flicker elementals. Uh, and then it's playing a bunch of one mana black instance that say the next time this creature would die, return it to the battlefield with a counter on it instead. So it's obviously a great combo with grief or fury. Um, I don't know that those cards have gone up to be like a dollar or two. So, I mean, yeah, you would find them laying around after a draft, but like right now they're seeing a lot of play and that's starting to climb the price. So I would say those have become the longer chaff.
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's the other p- bit as well. We put a, an average card price limit on the cube, so we didn't necessarily, I don't think we had a strict ceiling on a given card, but it had to fall into that category of chaff that we just described that you could find it laying around a draft table after a draft as like the the random cards that people just leave behind. And yeah. it had to, the total cube had to have an average per card price of,
1: I don't remember what we're at now, like 125 one twenty five or $1.50 or something. Actually right now, the average price per card is 26 cents. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, <laughs> like, yeah, that's and I did get the whole cube for a a bit over a hundred dollars. So, and you blinged it out. <laughs> oh well, yeah that that may have actually increased it to a little over that. I probably got it for like 150, but I did fully bling out a bunch of like stupid promos. For example, that my said, promo Profit of Crufix.
0: <laughs> okay, so that's one I would chaffify. I don't, I Ben and I have argued about this repeatedly. Uh, <laughs> I don't believe that Profit of crewfix belongs in our cube because it has been banned in every format conceivable, but because they're not played in that format and it's ben cheap, and Ben Commander. is like, it's, it's banned it's, in everything.
1: It's a- so it's it's also we have blue green flash as an archetype and it 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 borders into bant flash, which actually you can play mono white or green white flash in this set. It's so sick. But Okay, it is actually fix. only
0: banned in Commander. It's legal in everything else. <laughs>
1: it's a, yeah, it's a big banning. Like commander ban is obviously really significant, but that's just because of the turn thing, right? If you're not built around Prophet of Crufix, you can't really maximize its effect. Although yeah. we did also put wilderness reclamation into this set, so Uh, Which, again, also
0: probably not chaff. I mean, that was like a a standard staple for ages.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some ones that I would distinctly want to turn into chaff. For example, uh, Walking Ballista and Heliod. If we could chaffify those, we already kind of have the combo. We have like the budget version. We have Scurry Oak and Cleric Class. And then we have uh, a bunch of like uh, Soul Sister type effects like ETB. uh, You gain life when creatures enter the battlefield effects. That does go infinite in the same way that Heliot and Ballista do. Uh, there's just not as many great payoffs for it. If we could chaffify those, that'd be pretty great.
0: Yeah, we could probably go on for a long time about this topic. So maybe let's
1: just leave it there. But there are a lot of them. So here's a non-magic-related one. Uh, Dorgan asks, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Great question. Um,
0: tough to say because I haven't actually... This has to be a theoretical thing for me because I haven't been to most of the places that I would love to visit. Um... And one of like where I would probably prefer to live is likely one of those places I haven't been to. Um, I do have this sort of, I'll call it a dream or a life goal or whatever to own property in the Azores, which is a string of islands. I'll say off the coast, but it's like way off the coast of Portugal. It's Mm -hmm. like smack dab in the middle of the Atlantic ocean basically, but it's a, it's Uh, a, yeah, it's um, out there. It's a, uh, a Providence or, or whatever of Portugal. And from what I've seen pictures wise and, uh, read about online it's essentially the closest thing to new zealand's geography Hmm. that you can get without being in new zealand and Hmm. the azores are just absolutely beautiful i love the look they don't get the greatest wi-fi which means working from (laughs)
1: there would suck
0: but i'd love to own property there and have that be like instead of snowboarding to like
1: florida i would snowboard snowboard to the to the azores that would be great there's a joke about you being a Zorious in here somewhere, yep. but yep. yeah, there is. There sure is. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, New Zealand would be pretty cool. I, If we're going like a little comedic here, I'd want to live in a nice hobbit hole. That, that seems like the ideal lifestyle You're too tall to live in a hobbit hole. No, that's true. I'd have to get the roof raised. And at that point I'm kind of defeating the purpose. I'd be like Gandalf in the hobbit hole, like smacking yeah. my head in the chandeliers. Now but, I can fit in a hobbit hole. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I, I this, this is this is a corny way of saying it, but if I could live anywhere in the world, I would live somewhere where I could like see all my friends. I, I, mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, I think a lot of people really look back on college with fond memories because a lot of their friends either lived in their building or within walking distance and like a walkable community and like a college campus. Right. Uh, I I really would want to have something like that it doesn't really exist in our current like, you know, world setup, but. I think it'd be really cool to live in a town with like a lot of my close friends in it that I could just go and walk and see them every day. Uh, ge- like geographical location wise, um, honestly pretty happy in New Jersey. <laughs> like if I, wow. if I'm saying like, forget my You're friends, I just the first person wanna, in history to say that. Okay. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a New Jersey defender. I will defend this place. I think, uh, People hate us because they ain't us, you know. Like we, we I am seasons. us and I hate us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, look at the upsides. Uh, So many. I, I have had friends. I, I have a friend from California, and she told me recently she moved here because of the bagels. <laughs> like she had the option, <laughs> but she moved here because of we the do pizza. Have really good bagels. The bagels. Uh, I think we when we don't appreciate here in New Jersey is when we go to other places. uh, It's just. It's just not as good, you know,
0: but here's the thing. Okay. So I'll give you this. North Jersey has amazing bagels. South Jersey has amazing cheesesteaks. Yeah. But think about all of the mental energy and time you would save not having to argue about the difference between pork roll and Taylor (laughs) ham. If you move to a completely different state.
1: Yeah. 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 This is true. This is true. You would save a lot and you, I don't know, you get to do all the same stuff about sub versus hoagie versus hero versus all that. nonsense. There is one town
0: in the entire country that calls that thing that you were just naming a bunch of names for a flagpole. A flagpole? It's just one town, not even like the rest of the state, just one town.
1: So we can all agree that they're wrong at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But uh, personally, Hoagie is obviously correct. Hoagie's where it's
0: at, of course. Yeah,
1: Uh, it's Wawa Hoagie Fest, you know, not not Wawa Subfest. But anywho, uh, New Jersey, I do like living here because, you know, we have access to New York City. We have access to Philly. We have access to the shore. We have access to, uh, nature too. like upstate New York is only a drive away or, uh, that's New York. That doesn't count. You're saying one okay, of the best things okay, about okay, New Jersey hold on, hold is that on. you can get to New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You have access to some, some pretty nice nature in like North Jersey up to the side. Um, you know, there's some good hiking in New Jersey that you wouldn't expect. Uh, I honestly think we got it all. I'm, I'm like, th- I think this is a pretty ideal state. It's like, sometimes I, I don't think I, I appreciate enough because I was born here, but, um, There's a lot of other great states out there, but, uh, this one, it does have a lot of variety.
0: That's true. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's not Jersey shore, like the show of Jersey shore, though, that was filmed about 25 minutes from where Ben and I grew up. Yeah. (laughs) Actual people who live here on a regular basis are not quite like that. Um, some of
1: them are they they're Some definitely of them definitely Italians. are. <laughs> Some of them definitely are. Yeah. We, we got, we got plenty of, uh, plenty of Italians here, but not all Italians are like that. I'm, I'm decently Italian and I'm not like, I, I, I don't use that much tanning spray. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Here's another location based question. When, well, it's sort of location based. When and where, if it was in person, did you start drafting? And that comes from calcifer437.
1: Good one. Um, I think the very first paper draft I ever did was at my college magic club. No, 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 it was in high school. (laughs) It was in high school. Hold on. no, Just me being
0: super offended over here.
1: (laughs) So, okay. Okay. My bad. I don't really count that because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even understand like really how it worked. I don't remember my deck. I think it was mono white. Yes, you do. It was okay. It was mono white. I couldn't tell you a single card in it besides Spear of Heliod because I think every other card was so bad. I, I wiped that draft from my memory. My first real like drafts happened in college, but my very first draft was in high school uh, where we drafted Theros. And I can only assume our friend Jake just crushed us all, right? Uh, yeah, either him or Weaver, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that was where I began drafting. But where I started regularly drafting was at our uh, local game store, uh, Nerdvana uh, in South Jersey. And then also at, uh, at my Rutgers magic club, which actually had a partnership with our local game store, like by Rutgers, um, which was cool. They had sponsored drafts at like the college club, uh, which was, you know, pretty cool and fun. Uh, John Finkel came to one of them. Uh, they, they invited them and he actually came out, which was really sweet. I drafted Johnny next magic to him. himself. Yeah, it was, uh, that was on Kaladesh. Um, I remember distinctly in pack three, he passed me an angel of invention, which was obviously a fantastic card. I think he was in red green and just like it was at that point in, in my career when I was like, well, wait a minute. He just passed the best card in the set. He he like didn't take it and try to splash it. This guy's great. <laughs> like he really knows <laughs> what he's doing. Like you can do that. You can like open the best card in the set and not just slam it and like screw up your whole draft and try to force it. Like wow, this guy really knows what he's doing. So um, uh, I guess I learned a lesson through that. (laughs) Sometimes you're supposed to pass the mythic.
0: Yeah, I can't really remember where my first draft was. The first one I remember doing was that one in high school that Ben mentioned, but I think that's probably just because it was like also the first instance of really getting... A close friend into the game um i'm i'm sure i drafted before that that was not my first draft but i don't remember when my first draft was it would have probably been sometime in middle school but i didn't draft much between that and that high school draft there i did very few of them um in between because i was too young to be like allowed to go to friday night magic and like draft Mm. and i didn't know enough people who were into magic to draft at home um so that was one of the first ones i did uh but not the actual first. Um, and then I did a few in, in college as well. We had a handful of uh, really fun ones. I, I drafted cons of Tarkir for the first time in college, which was so mm. much
1: fun. And that was more of a flashback draft because the set was had been out for a little while, but phenomenal format. Speaking of drafting, Ratafia asks, if you could mix two unrelated sets into one draft environment, what would they be and why? Nice question.
0: Yeah, this is a good one. I, I have to question, what does unrelated mean? Like do they have I guess to just exist? Like, like, uh, totally
1: different planes, totally different blocks. I'm thinking like Exelon, for example, like Exelon and Rivals of Exelon. We did draft both of those together while they were back doing the uh, the two two one um, like version of drafting. So like we've mm-hmm. already kind of seen those mixed, right? I would say like distinct in that they've never been mixed before, or for example, double feature, right? Like that was a mix of two uh, draft sets. They've already been mixed, although that actually would be high on my list of things. I would want to do double feature like correctly. Uh, I would want to like, I would hand sit down and hand pick cards from uh, Vow and Midnight Hunt to mix into an actual format rather than literally just jamming both of them, like clicking the TXT file of one set and the <laughs> file of the set, copying and pasting, <laughs> like right. having repeats of cards and packs, like utter garbage.
0: Yeah, well, my, my question was more like, are we allowed to mix, say, Shadows over Innistrad with Innistrad because they both are Innistrad sets, even though they were I'd in say different yes. blocks and it haven't been drafted together. Yeah, okay. I'd say yes. So if we're going with that interpretation of unrelated, I'd probably want to do some combo of Ravnica sets, like maybe the original Ravnica with RTR would be kind of cool mm. um, just from a flavor perspective. I don't know if the cards would actually complement each other at all. Um, If we're doing like just totally unrelated, hmm. I actually think it would be fun to merge wedge sets. So something like, Oh yeah. Like Cons of Tarkir and Streets of Nuka Penna or something like that. Yeah. Where right you really get cool. all, all the wedges because they, they have That would be separate, huge. Yeah. It would be a nightmare to draft. I don't think that'd actually <laughs> be a fun draft because you'd end up with like, I don't know, I guess you do three packs No. Yeah. How would you even do that? You'd have to do like, I guess the two one split and Mm -hmm. then you'd end up because those two sets have completely different wedges in them. You'd have like you'd have like one pack of one set of wedges and then two packs of another set of wedges and you'd have to try to find cards to complement, And that would get really messy.
1: That would look or just like combine both full sets, kind of like uh, like double feature esque and like but prune it and make it a proper draft environment. So you're, well, you're, you're advocating for making a cube out of
0: two sets essentially
1: and then drafting yes. the cube.
0: So you're not drafting like individual packs of each
1: set. You're drafting some conglomeration. Yeah. yeah. Mine's of the, the less sets. realistic, I guess. Um, not really. I mean, like, you
0: can make a, you can make a block cube or something.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this is actually just like something we could do, right? We're talking about if we could just take two unrelated sets, mash them together. Um, I might say MH one and MH two be a very Ooh, expensive draft good. to buy into, but, uh, you know, if you like playing with busted stuff, you know, you could have Hogak and Grief in the same deck. <laughs> That's a, a combo. Really bestie,
0: yeah. yeah, that would be a fun, that would be a fun set. I guess you could also, I mean, if you're taking that route, you could take some unsets. Unrelated would be the oh, name of the set. Oh my God, <laughs> that sounds
1: awesome. I would totally do that. Like the two most recent unsets and Jam Together. Why haven't we done this yeah, yet? I don't know, because unsets are fun. I My,
0: <laughs> maybe a hot take here, I don't like unsets. They are unsets are the epitome of awesome in theory, hilarious on paper, and really just not that fun to play in person.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I disagree. I had I had a blast the last unset.
0: I got so tired of the stickers and all, and like (laughs) ah, I got so tired of it so quickly. I didn't
1: bring pies. Yeah, it's because you didn't. Well, that's probably true. But I, I like, I didn't even finish that that event. I dropped out. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I, it, you had like a long drive back though. And like, I, I didn't blame you for dropping. Uh, I also had a, a lot of fun because I opened the uh, carnival barker and I got to stand up in front of a whole room yeah. and scream at the top of my lungs. That's something I do for a living, right? Like I'm, I'm an expert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So follow up to kind of our Thanksgiving episode. Wolverine asks, on format farewells, will you be changing the quote unquote, would you rather question from eating glass to eating turkey for every meal?
1: <laughs> we got the feedback a while back that our eating glass is a, uh, it's, it's a little too cringe. We've since struck that from the record. We've tried to come up with more unique things since that. But honestly, I've actually gotten some pushback about the eating turkey thing as well. I had this conversation with my students in a class and a bunch of them just said, I have probably never had a good turkey. Maybe that's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we talked about it at the, around the Thanksgiving episode yeah. where like Turkey's just not all really all that great of a protein. Um, yeah, and it takes way too tier. much work to make good than, than many others. Um, it's doable. I think it's possible to make a good Turkey, but that's, a, I mean, it's a funny joke with the question. Uh, and probably, I mean, obviously, obviously not, not in any serious note, but Part of me wants to say they're about the same level of pain to eat a bad turkey <laughs> and
1: just broken glass. So well, yeah, that's um, an actual one. Like, which would you rather do? I guess I err on the side of Turkey, but
0: well, I definitely uh, err on the side of Turkey ahead. because this, this was the main complaint that was brought up when we did the eating glass thing in the past was like, there is literally never going to be a situation where I would rather eat glass except for like drastic almost anything else. Right, yeah. right, right. So like, Eating, eating glass is like seriously a bad thing to do. You cut your <laughs> mouth up, you slash your insides up. Like it's not a pretty thing to do. So there are very few things you would rather do than eat glass.
1: Um, but like, would you rather only be able to draft uh, Streets of New Capena forever? Like anytime you click draft on Arena, you just start drafting Streets of New Capena. Or would you rather eat turkey for every holiday meal forever? Every holiday meal? See, yeah. Wolverine's question asks for every meal. <sighs> Uh, let's, let's do both. Let's do every holiday meal first. Every
0: holiday meal. Um, I guess I need, I need for, this is, this is me being the pedantic person that I am. I need further clarification. Is that the only thing I'm eating at that meal? Or is that just the protein at that? No,
1: you just have to have it at every meal, but there's other stuff.
0: Uh, I would probably take the
1: Turkey. Yeah, I agree. Now Turkey for every meal.
0: I would take Streets of New Capena and probably just not
1: playing Magic. <laughs> yep, I, I think too. that would be
0: the, because that's the loophole there is you're like, well, I'm just done with this game. <laughs> I'm just not playing any more Magic.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's exactly how I do it. Basic Data Dude asks us a fun question here. Uh, an interesting debate due to uncovering a fake Magic old school RPG online. If Magic could be adapted to any other style of video game, what would it be? Of course, besides like, you know, playing Arena as a video game. Basically, they do mentions that uh, they're pushing an an open world like Elden Ring Skyrim type RPG. Uh, But then some friends were maybe saying more of like a Final Fantasy RPG. I would probably go for something like a turn based RPG, something like like Fire Emblem Awakening, almost. Um, Or maybe even like a Pokemon style one. I don't know what that would look like. But Pokemon where you're a planeswalker and your cards are like your repertoire of spells. Is that what the one like ill-fated magic like RPG, the MMO was, was that even an MMO? So it, it, I don't, no, I remember. that
0: was the problem that, that was why part of the reason, in my opinion, why that game failed. I can't even remember what it was called now. It was only like <laughs> two either. years ago, but yeah. um, the, it had been advertised. Like when they announced that the game was happening, they, they called it an MMO. What it yeah. really was, was an action RPG or an ARPG, which is like mm-hmm. Diablo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not
0: at all an MMO. They're very, very different things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was part of the failure. The other part had to do with like microtransactions and then locking things behind paywalls. And, oh, yeah, you know, you put a lot of distaste for the actual product itself, plus paying me money to play the game over and over and over again. And you're going to get a lot of people who don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an MMO nut. I love MMOs. I've wasted way too much time of my life on MMOs. And so I would probably default to saying I'd love to see a good magic MMO. I don't know what a good magic MMO looks like per se. Um, you'd need to have planes walking. So you'd need to be able to get to different, different planes. Yeah. Um, you know, I would think like the, the tier talent system would involve like being able to pick which level, which types of magic, like which colors of magic you want to dip into. So you could be a mm-hmm. mono blue mage or you could be a red white mage or whatever. And you could get different abilities and, and talents based on That'd be sweet. the route you want to take. And I'm thinking something along the lines of like, um, like the mastery system in arena where you can like drop your talent, quote unquote talent points into yeah, yeah, like a skill tree. different trees. Yeah. Um, and then your spells ad- adapt based on the way that your talents have worked. Um, so I, I'm thinking something like that would be pretty cool. I don't know, like maybe a card game would be pretty sweet. I think, like, <laughs> <if> it,
1: yeah. <laughs> hmm, yeah, they should uh, they should try that. <laughs> Sounds pretty yeah. popular. Uh, personally, I I think something along the lines of Skyrim or Elden Ring would be fantastic. I, I would want like a Souls like mm. magic game uh, because I think some of the appeal of the Souls uh, like Souls like games besides just being for masochists, uh, is that um, they have a lot of cool world building. And something that keeps people going through that sometimes brutal and challenging gameplay is the fact that there's these cool moments of, of beauty where you learn something, or there's like a sweet environmental storytelling moment. And I think the world of magic would translate really well for that, especially given all the different planes. Uh, You could you could teach players really cool things about the planes by having just like, I don't know, maybe maybe you encounter like you just find Heliod chained up in in, um, like the underworld of Theros. Like that could be pretty sick, right? Um, I I think uh, the lore of magic would, would work really well for that.
0: Well, that's why I think an MMO would be awesome because MMOs are such big things that like, like if you, if you think even just, you know, obviously we'll take the, take the biggest MMO popularity wise and, and age wise and everything like World of Warcraft, right? Is the quintessential MMO. Everybody thinks World of Warcraft when you say MMO, at least initially. And if you, if you were to adapt magic to that, I mean, you think about raid bosses, there's so many different story points you could pull from magic's history to make awesome raids. You get really cool environments, um, as well. And I, I think what they would need to find a balance, though, and this would be the tricky bit. I think it's safe to say not everybody wants to be a planeswalker. Like maybe I want to oh, yeah. be an artificer who can't planeswalk, and I just don't care about the planeswalking aspect, and I just want to be some or some etherborn or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would need to balance like your ability to get around to different planes with maybe the ability to create a character that's not a planeswalker in order mm-hmm. to not break lore, right? Because like etherborn can't be planeswalkers, as far as I'm aware right they can't uh, they can't have sparks wasn't that explicitly mentioned in the in the lore at some point
1: it might have been it was a long time ago
0: yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, they would need they would need to kind of figure out how to make that work, or maybe your character starts as not a planeswalker and you have to go through some event to get your spark to ignite. That would be kind of cool. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and you pick like your starter plane, and then like like because this is Ben and I played a lot of Star Wars: The Old Republic, and this is how Until Star the Wars: The Old Republic started. Yeah, it was you you're based on the class you picked, you started on a specific planet, and then by the end of the planet, you had to hit level ten. And then you would move on to getting your ship and being able to go off planet. And it would be pretty cool to have a similar experience. You start as not a planeswalker, and then by the end, you have some story beat that gets you to ignite your spark, and that lets you start hitting other areas. I think that'd be fun. It's essentially just a different skin on something we're already familiar with, but it'd
1: be pretty fun. Yeah. We should uh, we should dust off with tour at some point. I, I wonder I how much about has it. changed.
0: A lot, apparently. It's more of a single player game than it is a, an MMO these days, but uh, you get yeah. lots of good story.
1: Yeah, that's. Unfortunate. And they just came out but, uh, with another
0: expansion that has to do with Malick, and that's hmm. uh, pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I remember even even today, I still see the occasional message about like the occasional comment on like a Twitter thread about how the the rogue, uh, like the Imperial agent, had a lot of like really interesting story ideas that <laughs> like that are genuinely a cool like sci-fi Star Wars story. So yeah, uh, I love the but, agent again, story. Yeah, you could just watch Andor and get a lot of the same beats, but... <laughs>
0: I mean, you can't ex- you can't play it. You can't experience it.
1: Yeah, 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 that's true.
0: You get to make choices in that game. So, speaking of kind of big events in Magic Story, who should be the next big bad in the Magic Story? At, or, and I guess this is a second question, but it's a follow-up.
1: Where would you like the Magic
0: Story to go next? And that question, both of those come from Dorigan.
1: Yeah, good question. So, we have this Phyrexia arc, Right, I mean, we we had kind of like a big Eldrazi arc for a while, then kind of like a like a lull. Now we're in the big Phyrexia arc, which honestly, really enjoying it. So, all right, to be fair, we had the Eldrazi arc, then we had the Bolus arc. Now we have the um, the Phyrexia arc. Uh, We've actually kind of had a pin put in both Bolus and the Eldrazi. Right, Emrakul is of her own choice, hanging out in in the Moon of Innistrad. Bolus is stuck in a prison realm, and I think only Jace and Ugin know he's there, if I remember right.
0: And right? have the ability to reach him as far as we
1: know. Yeah. Um, so we better hope Jace doesn't get completed because he also... Oh, actually Tamio also knows about Oh, she was possessed by by Emrakul or was oh, controlled by her at some point. Yeah, that's not good. Um, hmm, OK, she's There's definitely going to be there.
0: she's definitely going to be responsible for Emmy
1: getting out of the moon. Can you imagine Tamio is like the next big bad, like calling forth a completed Emrakul? Well, whatever cool even allow that to happen.
0: I don't even know. Here's the thing. Right. So Tamio's completed. As far as we're aware, Jace gets completed. That's two hmm. big bads that were controlled by plane or at least have the awareness of the way that two, uh, two planeswalkers that are aware of the way that two big bads were trapped. Yeah. What if Elish Norn wins this whole like March of the machines thing or, or at least gets like, maybe she doesn't win, but she's like mostly defeated, but not destroyed. Mm -hmm. And she like slinks away and then she comes back with a completed bolus and a completed Emrakul.
1: <laughs> bolus comes in riding on Emrakul and that that's jumping that's <laughs> the shark, you know? Like, they can't pull all that out at once. I, I think we might see something more subtle after this. I know we're going back to Ixalan for a little bit. I doubt there'll be, like, a big bad on Ixalan. But as far as the next, like, overarching huge thing, I could see one of our existing characters getting built into the big bad. I could see Jace, maybe. I mean... If he does get completed, wink, wink. Um, I mean, having a telepath as a Phyrexian, that's terrifying. Um, maybe Luca, uh, who is just a giant jerk anyway that no one really likes. Um, I could see him getting turned into like a minor bad. Tezzeret, may, I mean, he's been subservient to other big bads for a while, so maybe it's finally time for him to come out and do something. Nah. But eventually... <laughs> Yeah, no, who are we kidding? Eventually, they're going to dust off cool or Bolas. Like they were smart enough not to kill them off forever. They had their their big defeats, but uh, I don't know. They're going to come back at some point. I don't know. There, there's still some unanswered questions, right? The Raven Man, uh, who's actually now revealed to be Lim Duel the Necromancer. We didn't really get a, like a solid ending about about that, so maybe he'll come back. Liliana is still kind of dealing with that. Um, we, we, we got options, right?
0: Yeah, so... I have some thoughts on this whole thing. I really hope Bolas is just done. I really hope they never bring Bolas hmm. back. Interesting. Um, you know, they're going to though <laughs> at some point, I know they're, they've at least given themselves the option to, which I think is probably what they did. I don't think when they locked Bolus away, in the prison realm that they had plans for him to come back. I think that was a safety net for them to say like, let's just tuck him away. We don't have to think about him for a little while, but he's there if
1: we wanted to bring him back or we can't come up with any new ideas. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Prison realm is just a three mana enchantment. You can just disenchant. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. they just so. disenchant. Um, what I, what I could see happening if they do want to bring him back is that like Jace gets completed and loses control of whatever responsibilities he had with the prison realm. And then Ugin dies or something. And like, Oh, suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, true. Um, the timeline, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah, I kind of hope that they never bring Bolas back. I'm very excited for Emmy to come back and see what happens with that, but it better be something relatively unique. I hope the next they've, they've, they've done this. There's, they're kind of in a, there's a problem here, right? Because planeswalkers are the big face of magic and everybody's got We got to deal with all these planeswalker team ups. Every big, bad threat has to be multiversal, which Mm, limits what they can be because, it's got to either be a planeswalker or some entity that has the ability to planeswalk a la the Phyrexians with the the, the planar bridge. But if Te- Tezzeret ever gets defeated and the planar bridge is destroyed, okay, what's the next big bad that can be yeah. multiversal. It's not just a planeswalker. And I think that gets really boring if they're just planeswalkers all the time. Yeah. So true. I don't really, I would love to see something unique though. Like something new, like let's get a new big bad that has nothing to do with Magic's mm. history so far, or maybe references like tiny things that have been brought up in magic story in the past, but was never like a big thing and just something completely mm. new. Like we've been stuck on the same story beats forever. We've done the, we've done the Aldrazi now twice that spanned like a decade of like real time to get the, yeah, those story yeah, arcs true. to wrap up. We've done Phyrexians now twice and I love the Phyrexians. I'm glad they came back, but let's, let's put that to bed. <laughs> yeah. Bolus was around for a long time, a couple of times. Yeah. I'm just ready for something new. Like
1: maybe uh, just like a new plane with some new threat. I, I also wouldn't mind if we zoom in and just have like a smaller scale, like threat, you know, like a smaller scale, big, bad on just one plane. Um, That helps us like dig deeper into some of the, like character arcs of some, some key characters. This is obviously for down the line. We've got the Frexians for a while, but uh, after these big things, I don't mind if they push in and, and dig into some more character based, uh, like smaller, more, more intimate stories.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Any, anybody like that's top of the list that you would want to dig into story wise, like any individual characters.
1: There's a few planeswalkers that I feel like haven't really gotten the chance to shine yet. I think Teo could be interesting. See where, where that builds to, mm-hmm. or even uh hotly. Hotley uh, and Sahili too, like what their, their arc is. I'm not super hopeful about some of our, our main gatewatch ones, Uh Chandra, uh, Nissa. It's not looking, not looking great for all the gatewatch members. <laughs> I think the gatewatch is about to lose some more members, but um I'm, I'm also curious to see if they resolve this. Like say Jace gets completed. Do they find a way to reverse the phyrexianization like can you do that once they've taken your heart out and tossed it in a bin somewhere (laughs) deep in like new phyrexia like you can't really put that back can you
0: i'm just gonna say right now if they just find a way to like turn all the important people getting completed around i'm gonna be so
1: mad yeah me too like that might be a final straw
0: for me with with story like i may just stop caring about it outside of the flavor time episodes that would be really frustrating to
1: me Yeah, I like it when there's stakes. Um, Can I, I, I you know, you've
0: got me thinking. I I, want to make a, perhaps a bold, not a claim, I guess, but a a bold request of Watsi. Can we have a set with no planeswalkers? Let's drill into a character on a plane with a big threat that this character's got to deal with, but no planeswalkers. Like, it's just somebody who's like living at home and I don't know, some tyrant shows up and now they've got to be like a a big warrior and they've got to go deal with stuff. A plane that planeswalkers haven't touched yet. Let's do that.
1: Oh, and they have no idea. You know, it sounds like you're describing the Andor equivalent (laughs) of a magic set.
0: I mean, kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I would take that. That'd be cool. But like,
0: uh, yeah, I want a plane that like no planeswalker has been to
1: ever, and they don't have them. I mean... <laughs> don't people's sparks get ignited when, when they go through like a traumatic event, it's just like a super chill plane where everyone is just like hanging <laughs> Everybody's out. Everybody's high the all the time. Yeah. Um, no, just or, like, or,
0: or maybe there's a reason why nobody can get sparks on that plane.
1: Oh, Oh, okay. Okay. I see.
0: But also like what, what we don't, you know, I don't think they've ever ins- addressed this as a story beat, but like how do planeswalkers come up with like, how do they find new planes? How do they get the ability? How do you know? You can't just like, I can't just get in my car and end up at a specific neighborhood in California without a GPS or something. Like I, yeah. I don't just know how to get yeah, there. Huh.
1: That's true. I guess it's only planes that other planeswalkers have been to before. We got some behind the scenes on this, um, during one of the Hotley side stories in, in recent events. Um, there's like planeswalker message boards on Ravnica where they leave notes yeah. to each other. So that was actually pretty cool. I enjoyed that seeing that like planeswalkers kind of have like their own little clubs where someone's like, Hey, uh, can someone come help me out on, on Kaldheim? I kind of need like someone come help me light a fire or something. It's cold here. I don't know whatever they talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I would, yeah, I'd love to see that. Let's, let's just get a break from planeswalkers for a little bit and do something we haven't seen in a long time.
1: All right. A question from Hulu here. What's your favorite standard format? If you have one. And why Uh, i can think of one that that does come to mind back from uh shadows over innistrad right when that had released um it was the last time i played standard and paper it was when i had my green white mid-range seasons past deck that i've talked about on the show before but i'll say it again it was back uh when tireless tracker thraben inspector thalia's lancers thalia's lieutenant uh and thalia uh, heretic Cathar were all in standard Heron's Grace Champion. I remember this deck like the back of my hand. Uh, so it was like a green, white, mid range humans deck with some good removal spells and that kind of thing. But it had a combo, kind of combo, grindy late game where it also played Bruna and Gisela, the meld angels. And I had, at the time, it was John Finkel that had popularized the black, green, um, like control mid range. It was like controlish mid range deck uh, that, that looped a bunch of removal spells with Seasons Past which was the key to the deck. Uh, It's a six mana sorcery that gets back uh, one card of every mana value from your graveyard to your hand, and then it gets put on the bottom of your library. Well, the joke is, if you can tutor for it, then you can start looping, right? Uh, And you can bring back the tutor and then go get it again and tutor again and then get it again. Um, So so you can can basically cast your whole graveyard every turn. I did the same thing except in a green-white humans shell, uh, which sounds kind of stupid, but... If they wipe your board, you just get to do it all again. And eventually you have Nissa's Renewal in there to get all the lands out of your deck. At that point, even the most dedicated control deck, which at that time there was a uh, there was like a Mardu control deck that was playing a bunch of big planeswalkers as finishers. Uh, Even that couldn't outgrind this humans deck. It played uh, Tamiyo's Journal to go crack clues that you were getting from Tireless Tracker and Thraben Inspector as as the tutor instead of the black one. Um, Dark Petition uh, was the black tutor at the time. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then it had the final finish of I played a, a single copy of a bunch of, you know, key legendaries that I could tutor for with Thalia's Lancers. Uh, Lancers could go get the journal, but it could also go get Bruna or Gisela or Odric to give my whole team flying. Um, it could go get a copy of a little bit later. But Once we got to Amonkhet, you could go get Oketra the True and then Odric could give your whole team indestructible and, and, and vigilance and flying and lifelink from uh, from the angels. It was Probably the strongest I'd felt about a standard deck ever. It was awesome. When it rotated out, it broke my heart, and I haven't touched standard <laughs> competitively since. Uh, so definitely my favorite era of standard because you really could bring anything you wanted to FNM and just have a blast. Again, there were strong like looping control decks. There were strong planeswalkers. Uh, but you could bring like green-wet humans and still have a good time. Uh, that was also uh, back around the time of, of our other kind of big foray into standard which was our, our homebrew control deck but i don't know maybe zach can talk about that
0: yeah i mean that wasn't my favorite era of standard because that was marty vehicles aether marvel works time and oh yeah, a fan of yeah either of those decks um and also that event left a bad taste in my mouth because we didn't we 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 built our decks uh to combat specifically marty vehicles which was like something absurd it was like 68 percent of the field or something yeah and we neither of us ever played against it
1: (laughs) we had some Um, fun games though
0: yeah um my favorite standard environment was actually m10 standard i believe it was m10 and that was when even flock made the blue white uh uh, winless control win the pro tour
1: (laughs) yeah it was just it was just blue
0: white Sphinx's Revelation with uh, Supreme Verdicts and Azorius Charms. Just draw a ton of cards, let your opponents do their thing, counter pretty much everything that you couldn't deal with, and then Supreme Verdict everything else, and then Elixir of Immortality to to just loop your deck and do it all over again. And it gets to the point where you Sphinx's Rev for like 16, and then you discard all of your best cards because you have multiple copies of all of them, and your opponents just scoop because when they see what you're discarding they're like i can't imagine what you have in your hand and yeah they basically just can't do it and then the deck had like it did it literally had no other win conditions it had elspeth sun's champion in the sideboard to board in to have a potential win condition if you wanted one but (laughs) i loved it i loved it so much
1: i I remember following standard probably the most around the time of like shadows over innistra like that era and then um like Eldritch Moon. Uh, I remember really enjoying the pro tours of that era. That was when a lot of big names were flying around. That was when LSV was on fire. I think he might've won one of those pro tours or, or someone like, that's kind of where I got familiar with a lot of the pros. That was like when I was getting more into following competitive magic but i remember watching a lot of just really fun and interesting games in the pro tours there there's some that stick in my head um seeing people play like blister pod eldrazi decks in standard was pretty cool uh ramping into like Emrakul's with these big mid-range piles um siege rhino in standard was was a fun era too uh but th- those are all i don't know That standard is bad now but i just don't really find myself with the same interest in it um I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's been black, red dominated for a while now, too, but that's not really its fault. Uh, I really just haven't followed it as much, I guess, honestly, since the pro tour really cared about it. Hopefully that changes in the next uh, in the next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, like uh, organized play imploding and starting a draft oriented podcast probably made both of us just kind of stop (laughs) caring about most constructed formats.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. There's
0: only so much time in a day, and only so much mental bandwidth you can give the game. So yeah. All right, we've got an on-the-spot challenge
1: by Dorgan. Design an uncard on the spot. Go. <laughs> oh man. Okay, I didn't cheat. I hadn't seen this. Who? Okay. Um. Okay, so it's uh, it's five mana. It costs, it costs uh, two black, red, green because it's mean. It has to do with nature. it's kind of chaotic and funny uh it's a mythic it's a sorcery uh you call a local takeout place and ask them to hold on you ask them to uh i don't even this is hard this is hard you ask them to give you the most expensive thing on the menu uh from the from like a takeout place you're not going nuts but it might be like 25 26 dollars or something uh and then when you get it shipped to you, if it happens while you're playing an ungame, you win the game. If you so like, receive it? it, it? Yeah. Uh, the card oh, is okay. called Special Delivery. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Okay. So, so you, you, you hopefully cast it in a game. You don't win that game. It has no effect in the game you're playing. But then several rounds later, like two, like an hour later, uh, the takeout shows up at your local game store and you win your game on the spot. Not the match, just the game. How, it's do, you, a how do you track meter. that you cast it like games ago? Uh, it's an uncard a- a- on the art. There's a spot for you to write the time that you ordered.
0: <laughs> ah, okay. Perfect. Um, love it. And the, you have to write the order number too. Cause yeah, yeah,
1: obviously really. Be um, uh, that's all great. right. Yeah. Special delivery. There's my entrance. <laughs>
0: all right. Mine is, um, one black, white, blue, green hybrid. Whoa. All four of those are hybrid in the one. Wait,
1: wait, wait. So it's a two mana value card. Yeah. 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 And you can cast it for one and anything but a red.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And it's a, it's a legendary planeswalker Fibblethip.
1: Oh my God. It's
0: called, (laughs) it's called Fibblethip the found. And, uh, it's got a plus one that says, uh, you have 30 seconds to find any card with Fibblethip in the card text, anywhere on the card text. And if you do, you gain oh, 10 life. Okay.
1: Okay. So, so what you uh, like, you search your library to reveal it. And if you do, you gain 10.
0: No, no, no. You search your collection, any card.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, you have to find him. I get it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You've got to find him. Um, then he's got a zero. That is, uh, th- this card, uh, essentially flicker him. Just that's it. It doesn't do anything else. There's no, Can you activate it at
1: instant speed.
0: <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> and, and then he has, he has an ultimate, which is minus 10. And, uh, oh, and he enters the battlefield with six loyalty. Wait, and wait, wait, hold on, hold
1: on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so good with doubling season. I got it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, the minus 10 is, uh, let's see, what would be really good for Fibble Fip as a, I have as an player.
1: idea, but I'm not going to say it. Oh, I want to hear yours first.
0: Um, he flips into a creature. So he somehow loses his spark. Uh, flips <laughs> he into loses a it. He gets lost. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, right. I totally meant that on purpose. Um, yeah, he flips into a creature that is a 10-10 with trample lifelink Jeez. and flying. Jeez. <laughs> and um, if it gets bounced, you lose the game. When it leaves the <laughs> battlefield, you lose the game.
1: Yeah, if, if it gets lost again it really gets lost. Um I, I have one on the on the theme of like finding and losing. Because people that gets lost all the time. I would say yeah. the ult is um your opponent closes their eyes, you have thirty seconds to hide their deck somewhere in the room. Uh if they can't find it in th- in a minute they lose the game.
0: Uh, it should actually, that that's fair. I, I like that. I was thinking along the lines when you started saying they close their eyes, I was thinking along the lines of like, you actually just play a mini game of hide and seek in the middle of your magic game.
1: Yeah. That's what Where I mean. Like, like but you, you're doing, you you're doing it deck. with their deck,
0: not, not yourself. I was thinking like you, t- your opponent closes their eyes and you get up from the table and have to go hide somewhere.
1: Oh no. Um, I mean like you have 30 seconds to hide actually for it to be fair, maybe like 10 seconds to hide their deck. Uh, and mm-hmm. then they have a minute to find it. And if they don't find it, they lose.
0: Ooh, or, okay, now we're just getting into, like, make Fiblethip ultimates, but what if uh, another fun ultimate could be they close their eyes, you pick a card from their, you replace a card from their hand with a card from your hand, or, like, <laughs> a, the top card of their deck or something, and they have to, to figure out which card you took, they have 10 seconds to figure out which card you took, or you get to keep the card.
1: Oh, that's fun, yeah. At this point, one of these might wind up in our cube, <laughs> like, as <this is, laughs> like a proxy, this would just be funny. Now, transitioning back into our holiday theme here, uh, Pizza Hand asks, uh, do you ever ask for magic cards or sealed product for Christmas? Um, I don't know. Do you? Do I? Uh, so that implies, like,
0: regularly? I, I don't. Um, I have. When I was younger, I definitely have asked for magic stuff.
1: I feel like we've, we tend to get each other, like, magic-themed things as gifts when we do, either for holidays or birthdays or whatever.
0: That's true. Yeah, I think the last... Actually, the last magic oriented sealed product i got for i don't know if it was i can't remember if it was for christmas but um for a holiday or special event was um the j spell book and uh, ben got me the the j spell book
1: yeah that, that counts as sealed product right yeah i sometimes do um i don't i don't talk about magic with like my family super often um they're just not that into it uh I guess they're, I don't know how to describe them. They're a little more like naturey, um, focused. Like my mom is a oh, big green gardener. Ages. Yeah. They're, they're very green. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law are like environmental scientists, you know, not that that excludes them from being interested in magic, but they just have plenty of other interests, um, that aren't necessarily pouring a thousand hours into uh, min maxing your way into a <laughs> winning an arena open. But, uh, Anywho, I, I just haven't brought it up that often. So they might get me like the occasional pack here and there or like a stocking stuffer. My brother would probably most likely to do that. Um, and then uh, Pizza Hand does have a follow up here on the theme of the holiday. Uh, overrated and underrated holiday treats. I, I have some, some strong thoughts about this that might get me uh, fired off the show. But those, um, I think they're like Italian, like thin cookie wafers. Um, I forget what they're called. Uh, I think they're inedible. I don't know about... I might anger some people with this one, but...
0: Italian thin cookie wafers. I can't even picture what
1: you're talking about. They, they have, like, powdered sugar on top. Man, I forget what these things are called. Oh, pizzelles. Yeah, pizzelles. I I, I I, cannot stand Inedible? them. Inedible? That's strong. Uh, okay, you could eat them if you're, like, on a deserted island, but I don't know. When I'm looking at a dessert, uh, I'm looking for a little more than cardboard with some sugar on it, you know?
0: Interesting. Uh, okay, that's... That's a, that's an opinion. That's fair. Um, <laughs> now I, I do I'm i not on either stuff, side right. of the fence there. Like with those in particular, I, if they're around and that's like one of the only things there to eat, I'll probably eat them. If it's not the only thing there to eat, I'll probably still try one, but I've never ever craved those or felt like those. But were yeah, like,
1: I feel like when you open a box that's ambiguous and you don't know what's going to be inside, when you see those inside, it's like, well, <laughs> you'd, you'd much rather have it be almost anything else. I think they're very overrated.
0: Okay. Anything underrated on your side of the fence?
1: Mm, uh, honestly, some of the pies, um, I think mm-hmm. like the can pie tends to be underrated cause it's, it's seen as like a staple. Um, I, Wait, I think it's I seen say, as a staple. So it's underrated. Well, it, it's seen as like a, like kind of shrug your shoulders staple. It's kind of like mm. underappreciated. Um, in that it's also underrated. So I, I want to mention overrated candy canes, not, that great, you know? I agree. Yeah,
0: candy canes are, are pretty medium, pretty mid.
1: I will um, use them to mix or like as a stirrer for like a oh, hot yeah. chocolate. That's pretty good.
0: That's actually, I would I would argue that's an underrated use of candy canes.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But candy canes in and of themselves are overrated.
1: Yeah, very much so. Do you have any other uh, under overrateds?
0: Um, I would say I have one that came to mind as an underrated option in the United States. Hmm. Um, the listener may not know, but my mother's side of the family is Brazilian. Um, and there's a snack in Brazil, um, that has a PC name and a non PC name. (laughs) Hmm. Um, the, I'm trying to remember what the PC name is, to be honest with you. Um, ah, the PC name is Brigadeiro, which they're essentially like the way you make these is you take, um, uh, evaporated milk and, um, condensed milk and chocolate and you just, you melt it all down, mix it together. And it turns into like, there's I think there maybe be gelatin or one other ingredient. It turns into mm. like a fudge ball, basically. And you roll them up and then you roll them in um, chocolate sprinkles. And they're delicious. Sounds great. And yeah. uh, very fattening. <laughs> they're like a staple in Brazil. They're like always around in the holidays in Brazil, but we don't have them in the U.S. Mm. Naturally. I mean, my family makes them, but um, yeah, they're not typical in, in Brazil. Um, and so there's that, I guess trying to think if there are any other like treats that i can think of that are i would say like maybe maybe barks are a little underrated
1: oh yeah no that's true um i, I think a, a good like peppermint bark that that's way up there uh, i think overrated one more can to mind gingerbread uh, there's a mm. lot of bad gingerbread out there good gingerbread solid but i think most of it kind of sucks
0: mm. yeah i can get behind that
1: so i believe that brings us to the end of our that's holiday it. meal bag yeah that's a good time
0: all right. Yeah. Thanks for submitting questions. Uh, I think that was, that's just about it. Um, see you next week.
1: Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. They listened through all that. Should we do, do a oh, giveaway? you're or? right. We did promise a giveaway. <laughs>
0: yeah. Let's yeah, let's give away some it. stuff. before we Before we pick the winner, well, we've already picked the winner. Before we announce the winner, shall we tell them what they're getting?
1: Gladly. So we're giving away a full draft kit, a full draft chaff themed draft kit, including custom draft chaff sleeves, which only a few people on Earth have. A few listeners, uh, Zach and I, and soon about to be one of our our, uh, listeners right now that submitted the question. Uh, We're going to give you a full uh, draft kit, which obviously comes in a box, a nice ultra pro satin tower, uh, some dice with it. We'll give you 10 of each full art basic. Maybe maybe we'll toss some stickers and, and... Maybe some cards in there too. Anything we got laying around to sweeten the deal? But this is something that you could just bring to your FNM. Uh, you're, you show up, you have it, you are ready for draft. And honestly, this is exactly what I use.
0: Yeah, I don't use a satin tower, but otherwise, everything else is is what I use. So, of our many question submitters, we have one winner. It's all come down to this. Drumroll, please. <laughs> winner is Basic Data Dude.
1: Hey, thank you so you're much. Thank you so much Congrats. for your
0: question. We'll be in touch to get shipping information so we can send that stuff to you.
1: Yeah, awesome. Enjoy and uh, happy drafting. Thank you to everyone who submitted. These were, uh, it's always a great time getting to hear from our listeners. Now, if you have any other questions, things that you thought of, or maybe you want to roast us about for our garbage takes, just ask us in the listener channel. We're going to switch back to having regular uh, listener questions once per week from this point on.
0: Yeah, next week we'll do our usual uh, end of year review sort of episodes. So tune in for that next week. But otherwise, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Check out the Discord if you're not already in there. And again, Ben just mentioned, stop by our listener questions channel to drop in listener questions. We answer one of those every week. We'd love to have your question in there as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. And if you'd like to find us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next week.
1: So I see you added a little thing to my, uh, my sign-off idea. I thought
0: you wrote that. I thought you wrote that.
1: (laughs) So I wrote in the sign-off topic for today: uh, physics nonsense. And then Zach wrote after what if physics wasn't, which is actually kind of the topic of the sign-off.
0: Yeah, Uh, it is.
1: I got into a a squabble with a bunch of people that I don't know about physics. So, um, here's the situation. Uh, there's a common misconception about work and energy. Here's the two-second version. Uh, Work is when you exert a force uh, on an object over some displacement. Uh, That changes this quantity of a system called energy. That's the easy way. Energy can be in different forms, gravitational potential, kinetic, elastic, internal, uh, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, one of my questions on my exam review uh, involved asking about the work that a staircase would do on a person. Now, the average physicist would tell you that as a person goes up the stairs... Uh, The stairs do work on them because from the course of the bottom of the staircase to the top, uh, you know, that's some distance, some displacement and the stairs exert a force on you. However, uh, I'm a purist. uh, I disagree with the convention here. And uh, the way I would describe the scenario is at the bottom, you have zero GPE at the top. You have some amount of GPE and the stairs do zero work on you because the force is obviously exerted on you, uh, you by the staircase, but it's over a displacement of zero uh, like the stairs don't move. They don't push you upwards the entire time. Your body is the thing that's actually, uh, exhausting itself to get you up the stairs. So I count it as a change in internal energy, uh, a negative change, right? It's like, if you had to climb up an infinite staircase, you would get exhausted. Right. Whereas if you went up an infinite escalator, you wouldn't get exhausted. This is like the mechanical difference that a lot of people would say is the same. Anywho, a bunch of my teachers, uh, a bunch of my students come in today and they say, uh, you're, my tutor said you were wrong. And, uh, I said, uh, all right, well get better tutors because <laughs> uh, <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. So anyway, uh, curious for any, any physics fans or aficionados out there. Um, what, what do you think about this one? Cause this is one that it's, it's kind of a big difference depends on how you learned. It depends on, uh, how you were taught um, but anyone out there, well, that, wait a second. Hold on. Duke me that's out not on how this.
0: science works. Science is not depends on how you learned it. This is an English class.
1: Well, that's the thing. Uh, I am right. I'm just willing to see if anyone's gonna kind of tell selling my trap. <laughs> <laughs> um, have
0: you had this? I'm, I'm curious. Cause I don't know that. I mean, I know bits about work and energy. I've taken some physics classes, but have you had this? I know it, you in particular have a very, um, esteemed mentor At least when you were going through, you know, schooling and everything, have you had this conversation with them or did they teach you this?
1: Yeah. So she taught me this. Um, This is the way that she would recommend approaching it. Include the stairs in your system, stairs, person and earth. Then any uh, change in energy here would be internal, Uh, negative internal. You're losing energy from your system, right? That's why you have to eat you know, after you like run up a staircase or something like you, you lose the carbs that you, you had inside you. Uh, so I, I've actually duked this out with other physics teachers before. One of them, I swayed to my side, um, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But uh, others I haven't had such luck with. But you know, I don't know, I'm writing or not. So... <laughs>